0: But they're able to do that while building applications using the best of cloud cloud native principles like self-healing and elasticity. That is what we call the open distributed cloud. And what the open distributed cloud enables is freedom in cloud computing, where you get the best of cloud computing, but you get it with your terms.
1: Well, welcome back to Clown Talk. I'm your host, Jeff Diverter. Now, here at Clown Talk, we strive to help decode the ever-changing world of technology to help you apply it to your business so that hopefully you'll have one more tool in your arsenal to help improve your business and those around you. Now, in today's episode, I have the great pleasure of having founder and chief growth officer from Platform 9, Sarish Renguram. Now he's here to help us better understand not only the mission that Platform 9 is on, but also Sarish's own multi-decade career that has led him from Pune, India to Silicon Valley and has had him and his team contributing to some of the most influential and important software utilized by most enterprises now of course stick around after the interview as always i'll have a few thoughts that i want to share with you about the episode and also if you aren't already a subscriber to cloud talk and do enjoy these episodes well now's the best time to come and be a subscriber and maybe even give us one of those five star reviews they really do help and with that on with the episode line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps.
0: The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense
1: resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking the sweat.
0: That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business
1: objectives. That's where we craft the plan.
0: In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell
1: you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So I am joined today by co-founder and chief growth officer, Suresh Raguram. Suresh, welcome to
0: Cloud Talk. Great to be here, Jeff. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Hey, I think I want to start by by talking about your title, Chief Growth Officer. I like it.
0: What does it mean? E- is that even a job? Like a real job? Like who makes that's a what I have job, to ask right? because isn't that
1: everyone's really, really shouldn't everybody have that as a subtitle in their job, in their you know?
0: Yeah, you know, I um, there's a there's a bit of a story behind that, uh, but. I, um, you know, it's it's an interesting title. I actually had to go read what what does what does this title mean. Um, it's actually interesting, you know. I think we're in a new world where essentially, like, we think that there's a huge opportunity for Platform Nine to serve our end users. Our end users are ultimately, you know, we serve enterprises. Enterprises have operations teams operations teams have their end customers are ultimately the developers in the business units that drive their business, right? And so the, my, my role here is to really focus on our end users and their journey to cloud native and how do we help them, you know, get there faster, be more successful, get more value out of it and do that with a lot of technology and product innovation. So that's really what the, the role is. So it's not like a, a classic CTO role, but it's a combination of users, technology, uh, you know, their journey and, and growth.
1: So, so super interesting. And as I think about that definition in context of, well, a little bit of the, the homework that I did ahead of us having this conversation, um, it sounds like that is a title that you have been, uh, well, you just had to look it up you have been refining as an individual, even from back in, I would call it your university days. I mean, the, the awards that you won there, um, and the, uh, um, the competitions that you were in, that you came out in number one, understanding what problems were applying technology to them and, and, uh, coming out on top, uh, seems to, seems to be a bit of a mantra for your career.
0: You know, I, now that you mentioned that Jeff, um, I think it there does seem like, like there's been a little bit of a pattern here, uh, yes. and I think it's. A, I think every entrepreneur, I think does. I think every entrepreneur ends up working as a chief growth officer, whether they call it that or they call themselves like some kind of founder or something else, CEO or anything else. And so, I do think that, like you know, when you're thinking about growth, but you're thinking growth of your company, but growth of the product and growth of your customers and the growth of their, their, how can you help them in their journey? I think that's, that's I think, a part of every entrepreneur's thinking and DNA. And, uh, you know, I do think that I, I never realized it till you just mentioned this to me, but I do feel like, yeah, I have done, I've done this a few times uh, without necessarily realizing it
1: right right and um, and as somebody who's who's had the opportunity to clinically look in at your at your career over the past couple of decades and you give that explanation, I look at it, it makes sense, uh, especially when you look at at the technology that you are applying over the time, and this is one of the things I thought we might unpack a little as well, as I think it's important. Um, and, and it's a bit of a side story too. And that is where technology was sort of in these different evolutions. So let's, so if we go back to say like the year 2000, you're, you're about finishing school, about to finish school, uh, at Poon University in, um, and what's the technology of the day? I mean, you're coding, you're winning awards for single fastest coder, uh, at these competitions that you join. Um, but what's the tech that you're working with at the time?
0: Yeah, those awards. I almost cringe a little bit to hear that because those are almost like juvenile awards. Like I would say, you know, I, I mean, and winning an award to be like the fastest coder in like Pune, India is like, well, what does it really count for anyway? Uh, but you know, at the time, um, I had the opportunity to intern with a Bay Area startup at the time called Selectica, and just this morning, it's interesting uh, how things connect. Just this morning. Um, I'm a huge fan of cars and car design, electric cars. I'm like crazy about them. BMW is coming out with a fancy, new, incredibly expensive, uh, obscenely expensive, I would say, but a beautifully designed car called the BMW iX. And I was on their website and I was actually configuring the interior because that interior in that car is a work of art. I love great design, especially in, in cars. I was configuring that interior. And so essentially the problem that you have is, you have all these different cars, like all these different models. I think about how many models BMW now has, maybe like 20 models. And you think about like how many different exterior colors they have. They have three trims. Each has a slightly different exterior finish. And then they have seven paints. And then they have like 10 interior finishes. So, and then, you know, then you have different options. You can choose like this display, that display. So the problem is you have this combinatorial explosion in, you know the visualization right like the ultimate car that gets built for you based on what you specify way back in 2000 um we were working my 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 colleagues at the time my my fellow graduate students and i were working on a technology for selectica who had at the time BMW was a customer of theirs and they had this problem where they needed to have 95000 in the year 2000 when BMW only had like five models they had to have 95,000 professionally shot photographs on the website. Can you imagine? And this, by the way, every year, as they changed colors and changed trims, it, all of that needs to change, right? Or keep, that It needs to there. change. It needs to be updated. And it just grows. It just grows, right? As you
1: add models, as you add a color. As you and add you a- fast
0: forward to today, the, that visualization that I was using on the BMW website was beautiful, by the way. And that was what we built in 2000. And we built that using CAD drawings and we allowed people to come in and supply textures and supply like lighting finishes. Like, so essentially our customers were the developers in Selectica uh, who could then describe the logic. We built a language by which they could describe, here are objects, here are different cars or trucks, and here's a CAD drawing for these objects. And here are finishes and textures and how they apply to different parts of these objects and then dynamically on the website using java 3D and, and applets at the time which was pretty cutting edge um, we would we would render the, the the finish I have to say I'm pretty proud of that like it feels like it's maybe twenty years ahead of where things are today but but i I, I remember how it looked and it was a little the the finish was not quite to, i mean it was definitely not to the level that I think. These sites have it today, but I, I can tell you that what is what BMW is running on its website today is some kind of iteration of that technology. And these were three, four graduate students who knew nothing better from Pune, India, you know.
1: See look you're you're just making my point point. Uh, and that is you you've been this person you've been the chief growth officer since 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 grad school and you just keep applying it to whatever that new problem is understanding you know what 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 is the challenge how can technology come alongside that challenge and make it better for the users for to to help either grow the company to help please then the individual consumers that are that are on the other side of it i was uh, I mean, to have written your own. So first of all, that's 2000. That's huge. I mean, I remember what the internet looked like in 2000, and it didn't look like what you're describing.
0: Yeah. That's pretty cutting edge. And, and, you know, look, really kind words, Jeff, but the reality is I've had the opportunity. I've been very lucky in my career to work with some incredible people. Like even my, my fellow graduate students at the time who were working with me, on that, that project, I would say they're all probably better coders than I was and probably better, you know, programmers and designers than I was. Um, I've just been incredibly lucky through my career to have the opportunity to work with some incredible people. And, you know, when you work with great people, great things happen, right? So, but, you know, it's interesting that that experience, we went and and presented that. So the, there's a big symposium in Pune where all the, the graduate students, they go and showcase their their work their project work for their senior year and most people didn't understand what we did we thought like we had done some really good stuff back then yeah. and like most people didn't understand you built a language to go describe so what? i i don't know i don't you know what is this thing so what like there are two people who are yeah, what's,
1: yeah, what's the what's the application it doesn't make sense i mean i mean why would no, you want to do such a thing
0: I think people didn't understand the application, but they also didn't understand that, look, we'd gone and built like a language and we'd gone and built like a rendering engine and like we had to solve everything from web front ends, visualization, to actually designing a, a language, a parser, a lexer, and putting it all together and an entirely just-in-time runtime system. It was, I, I, would, I would say, I was really proud of the work. And then there were, there were two people who seemed to really understand, so you designed a language to do that, and you designed a parser to do that, and you designed a lexer to do that, and you designed a web front end to do that, and you designed, all of this is just in time. And those two people, I did, they they were from some unknown company at the time, and I went, called them later, a week later, and say I had job offers from somewhere else, but I was like, hey, what do you guys do? And like, can I come work with you guys? Like, because you're the only two people <laughs> who understood what we did. You, you you get what I'm doing over here, yeah. Yeah, and, and as luck would have it, um, that was, you know, my a, a big break for me because um, that company ended up was doing some work for VMware, and I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to to join VMware when VMware was not a household entity. It was not like a household name. It was very early days in two thousand and one, and I started to you know work with VMware. And right. you know, Employ- employee eighteen,
1: if if I remember your your staff from earlier,
0: Bick Lee, our co-founder at Platform Nine, uh, our chief yeah. architect and co-founder was employee eighteen. He was my mentor. Okay, I was okay. slowly. Probably VMware was 150 people by the time I started working. Okay. Yeah.
1: got it, got it. Still extraordinarily early days, back when nobody understood what virtualization actually was.
0: Yeah, and you know, the reason why I really wanted to work with VMware, Jeff, was because I was a developer and I wanted to use a Linux machine, but I wanted to play Age of Empires after ours. Age of Empires <laughs> would only work on Windows machines, and VMware would allow us to run like Windows virtual machines on our Linux desktops. So it felt like a really important contribution to society to say <laughs> you know uh you can run Windows on Linux so developers can play age of empires after hours so it felt like a really important thing to contribute to society at the time
1: i had a i had a i had a similar um situation early in my technology career as well. I was leading a a team working (laughs) on a project. We were building these very large uh, clustered systems and, uh, and we were using them for a little gaming after hours as well. Um, uh, the, The whole systems team. So now I wasn't, you know, getting Linux to work on uh, or getting Windows to run on a Linux environment so that I could, I could play Age of Empires and writing that on my own, but pretty, pretty incredible. But again, looking at what is the challenge and how do you solve that through technology? That's kind of a a huge element of my conversations with customers, my conversations in, in these types of settings is, you know, as, as technologists, it's easy. I'd say a technology hobbyist gets excited about technology for technology's sake. Isn't it cool? Isn't it shiny? Isn't it amazing? But it's technology professionals and technology leaders who see technology and can apply that to life and how can we make life better? Now, life back you know, in early 2000s when you joined VMware is I really want to play Age of Empires and I don't want to run a Windows des- desktop. So how can we solve that problem? And now you're looking at, you know, as you think about chief growth officer at this organization, Platform9, that you helped co-found is how can you help organizations be... What is the mission? How would you? I wouldn't want to put words in your mouth in this context. Uh, when when Platform Nine is at its best in the containerized world, working with enterprises, what is the business outcome that becomes the societal outcome?
0: The business outcome that Platform Nine drives is that enterprises, our customers who are enterprises, can experience freedom. What what we call freedom in cloud computing, which is that. You know, cloud computing, what is cloud computing, right? Is cloud computing Amazon's data center? Like if you're using Amazon's data center, is that cloud computing? So if you're running, let's say, legacy apps, and you're running it in a VM like you did 20 years ago, right? And you lift and shift that using something like VMware Cloud onto Amazon. So you lift and shift it, a very legacy app onto Amazon as is, and you're not really it's not really dynamic it's not really elastic it's not really self-healing it's not it's not is that cloud computing that
1: is it just sound, sounds like a database or data center migration to me
0: i mean it sounds like it's a legacy data center centric approach uh, that you happen to be running in the cloud and paying more for it right so to me i feel like i, th- I think the mission that platform 9 the outcome that platform 9 can can enable for our customers is when they feel like they can get the the best aspects of cloud computing, the speed, the breadth of services, the pace at which these businesses can iterate and bring innovation to their customers. But to get that beyond the walled garden that the public clouds are providing. So the public clouds are beautiful, wonderful walled gardens, but a lot of our enterprise customers, they need more flexibility. They need to know... They can run this in distributed cloud environments. They can run this on-premises, in their customer premises, in multiple cloud environments. right? When that happens, when they're able to realize this notion of distributed clouds that are portable and they can build apps once and they can run them in many different kinds of cloud environments, whether their own or their customers or their partners or on-premises, but they're able to do that while building applications using the best of cloud-native principles like self-failing and elasticity. That is what we call the open distributed cloud. And what the open distributed cloud enables is freedom in cloud computing, where you get the best of cloud computing, but you get it with your terms, right? You get it on infrastructure of your choice with open APIs. And um, that is the outcome that that gets us really excited.
1: Yeah, because so many people got, and and are still very excited. I mean, we're sitting here in the middle of reInvent week. And everybody's getting all jazzed up about the latest and greatest that AWS is going to uh, bring to the market. But, you know, walled garden is an excellent example. Gardens are wonderful places, but they still do have those gardens. Usually those doors are easy to walk in and they are a little harder or more expensive to walk out of. So having a technology that allows that freedom of computing, that mobility based on whatever the business driver is that the organization has, cost, ge- uh, geography, um, regulatory. Whatever that might be, and being able to have the freedom of the technology they want in the infrastructure location that they want is is um, empowering to the to uh, enterprises around the world.
0: Yeah, I think I think freedom in cloud computing uh, with this open distributed cloud architecture is incredibly empowering, right? Because it gives enterprises control. Otherwise, is otherwise I would say the with with enterprises that are just using a single hyperscale cloud provider, um, they're, they're taking a risk about how that works out long-term, right? Now, that not necessarily because the hyperscalers may not, may not be good partners, but more because their requirements, the enterprise requirements is characterized by diversity. They acquire other companies, they get large, they, they have to comply with numerous laws and, and compliance requirements and mechanisms. Many of which require you know redundancy, local data compliance, and availability, and they need to support a broad range of applications and one walled garden may not be sufficient for the reality that these enterprises face
1: right right so so I think again also helping to understand um the value that this brings is, again, to understand the trajectory of how you get here. So let's, let's again, just follow your career because the following your career follows the tech. So we'll go back to when you joined VMware. And, uh, you know, there, there was a need to start to move, um, you know, physical environments into the virtualized world. And you find yourself on an, an important project at that point that became sort of foundational to, to VMware's offerings. So tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, you know, so that was actually where I had the opportunity to work uh, so closely with Bic, uh, who's now our our co-founder and chief architect at, at Platform9. We were building tools that allowed people to move physical machines into virtual machines. And we would actually send out, like VMware would send out these professional services consultants, and they would send us a picture at the end of a day's engagement where I think it charge a lot of money. But at the end of the day's engagement, they would show, here's a, a whole room of you know, this is in the 2002, 2003, 2004 timeframe where there's a lot of excess capacity from the dot-com boom, tons of servers, lots of like power cooling issues. But you know, people needed to really downsize and consolidate that. And our consultants would walk in with this tooling that we built. It was at the time called P2V Assistant. It then became VMware Converter. And they'd walk out with like one rack, like that twenty racks were now consolidated onto. And the before and after for the customer, right? How much power it saved them? How much space it saved them? How much cooling it saved them? Uh, and the fact that it made their environment more manageable, and that they're, they're now starting to get this value of "Hey, now I can start to operate all of this using virtualization," and the benefits of virtualization was was really gratifying. I would say it was really really fun days, and and then you know that led to the the rise of you know this this tooling and associated developments at the time was VMware's vCenter which is being built at the same time, became what became called, uh, what came to be known as virtual infrastructure, which evolved into vSphere. And and so we had the opportunity to, to make significant contributions in that journey, uh, leading multiple products in, in part, as part of the vSphere uh, platform.
1: Incredible. Now, at, at this, this time, you know, we think about VMware's trajectory. They're at the beginning of their arc, You know, they have this idea that virtualization could be a thing. Uh, And all these subsequent additions to the tech just is building upon that. And when you and I were talking before, you know, you talk about how VMware got to a point where there were just, there was just, there was inertia challenges. It was getting bigger. It was uh, the tech needed to be sort of revamped. You were on the team helping to you know take your your own creations and and um, and take them to the next level. Version one to one point five and carrying it forward. And you talked about the 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 phrase and and re- referencing the book, of course, the Innovator's Dilemma and. And I, I, of course, I'm familiar with it, but I did a bunch of other digging into it. And what I realized is I, I had a misunderstanding of the term innovation. I was, was looking at innovation as a term that was synonymous with creation. Here was nothing and we created something. You know, you came in and saw the virtualization software that existed and took what was already there And raw materials that were there and added to it. You combined new things into that existing environment to innovate that along uh, in its journey. And I think it's important to understand that 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 process of innovation at the beginning of the arc of, of a technology, of an organization, it's all empowering. But it gets challenging in the concept of the the innovator's dilemma, and you know, not throwing rocks at any past organizations or whatnot. But how did that apply in the context of where you were, where technology was in its in its um, existence? You talked about some 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 customers. I don't know if you will reference customer names here, but you know that that looked at moving into these environments and the cost that was there. So. Maybe unpack innovators dilemma because that's ultimately that core catalyst that that got you to thinking maybe there's a better way in, in the Genesis than into Platform Nine.
0: Yeah, and, and Jeff, uh, you know, the the reality was like I'd been a veteran engineer at VMware at the time, you know, the company was maybe, you know, as of 2012, the company was maybe 14 years old and I'd been there for practically all of my adult life. You know, so it was being there, I think was one of the, my, the professional honors of my career, and I'd learned a lot. I got the opportunity to work with some incredible people. But the VMware that I joined versus the VMware of 2012, 2013 was a very different place. Uh, the VMware that I joined was a, was an innovative company that would create solutions. It would imagine solutions. Engineers were allowed to dream and run free and run fast and build things, build solutions. And it was always about the user and what we did for the user. And so we, I talked to you about how p 2 Assistant, Virtual Center became virtual infrastructure, became like this vSphere, uh, which became incredibly successful. But over time, I would say from the 2009, 10, 11, 12 timeframe, my peers outside of VMware, the developers outside of VMware, who would always, by the way, talk to me about VMware this and VMware that and VMware developer tools and other you know, things were increasingly talking to, starting to talk to us about, hey, you know, we're getting all these things from the cloud and we're building these cool things from the cloud. And Instagram, Netflix and Instagram would come out and write their blogs about how they're building cool services on the cloud. So almost it started with a, with almost a juvenile sense of, hey, we, we got the goods at VMware, right? Like, wh- why, are you, why are you guys looking at uh, this other stuff? So it was almost like a juvenile sense of, hey, use VMware. We, we, we got yeah. the goods, right? Yeah. And uh, so we... My my co-founders at Platform9 and I were at the time lead engineers at VMware, and we were brought in to help um, uh, with VMware's cloud products at the time, which were having some problems. We were very frustrated by the fact that it took us a year to fix some fairly minor things, and we got done in like two months, and then we had to wait like seven months or eight months for the rest of the because we would do like one big release a year, okay. So, so it felt like in a year, you could do two months of work, and then for eight months, you had to kind of twiddle your thumbs while customers were waiting for bugs and fixes. And then we are like, no, Amazon is shipping like tens of times every day. Or, you know, individual developers in Amazon can ship a service so quickly. Here we are, like, it's so inefficient, right? Like, and developers and, and our users are having problems, and we're not able to get solutions to them quickly enough. And then at the end of the year, the 2012, one of our largest customers, I shall not name them, they're a major uh security company in the Bay Area, they were one of our largest users at the time. They had somewhere around 15,000 VMs on multiple data centers, and they were waiting on a bunch of fixes that, for a long time, right, that we had fixed in this release. Over a three-day weekend or four-day weekend, they weren't able to upgrade from the old version to the new version, okay? And their ops team had scheduled downtime. This was over a long weekend, and they were not able to upgrade. We had, like, people on call we were not able to upgrade them from the old version to the new version. And it was this like just incredibly frustrating thing, like a year to ship a product, right? Which with fixes that only took us like weeks to develop. And then like our biggest customer who has the most pain from these things is not able to upgrade to this. Like then we went to meet with other customers and I told you about them. I shall not name the customer, but I was pitching them, they were having problems with Amazon, like cost outages and you know other issues. Yeah. And I said, listen, you've outgrown Amazon. It was fine when you were a seven, seven person company. Now you're a three hundred person company. You need a true enterprise grade yeah, private. Yeah, it's enterprise cloud. up here. You need you need an enterprise grade private cloud. Let me tell you about how we can help you build a private cloud. I shall not name him, uh, but let's call him by first name. His first name was Scott. Scott looked at me and he said, Son, sit down. Right? I've been a VMware admin, like, for five years, and the problem with what you're saying is this and this and this and this. So you said, look, ultimately, with Amazon, I don't need to manage this. I don't need to babysit it. It's delivered as a service. With your solution, I have to go hire a bunch of people, I have to, which is very hard to do in the Bay Area. It's super expensive. It takes a long time. And then I have to go put together this private cloud, like, um, uh, you know, stack and then deploy it, and then you know, VMware's costs come in and the hardware costs come in. So you see, he said, Scott said to me, eighteen months from now, after paying some five six million dollars, there is a ten percent chance that eighteen months from now I could have the cloud that I need today. And he asked me, if you were in my shoes, tell me what am I doing wrong? Tell me where what is the flaw <laughs> in my argument? And would you make this bet? Like if your job was on the line. Would you ask your CFO, who's just had a cost outage on Amazon, saying, I can fix this cost outage in Amazon, but you need to give me $5 million and give me 18 months. And there's a one in 10 chance that I'll give you the cloud that you need today, 18 months from now. And it was just this moment where it all kind of just... It
1: all sort of clicked for you.
0: It was just like, we're not in the picture. We're irrelevant. We're obsolete. We're, this is not working, Right. And then there's this really deep introspection on why is it not working, right? Like Because the fundamentals of what technology VMware had, the virtualization, the hypervisor, was the best in the world. So how is it that we have the best infrastructure technology in the world, but the the end customer feedback is it's too hard, it's too slow, it's too expensive, it's too painful compared to what the public cloud gives me? That was the genesis of Platform 9 that those, these two, there were other things as well, but these two customer conversations, one was an existing customer, our largest customer, who couldn't upgrade after waiting for a year for some fairly critical fixes. And this other customer who should have become, I think, a customer of ours at VMware, but just, you know, it didn't make any sense. The experience was so painful. And the realization we had was, There there are people who want more flexibility and freedom in cloud computing. They don't want to be limited by the wall garden. But it needs to be as simple and as easy to use as the wall garden, right? Like, if if your neck is on the line and you have to deliver value to your business, if you're a CIO or a VP of IT or a VP of platform engineering, a director of DevOps somewhere, you cannot go today in this day and age. You cannot go and say, "I need a long time to go put together a platform strategy that works." Nobody's going to give you that time. It needs to be near instantaneous, and that was the problem. Right, the the whole traditional software delivery um, with the infrastructure focus that VMware had was getting in the way, and we needed to completely start from scratch and start from the user back down and say, what is the simplest way to deliver this need? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, wow, that must've been, um, a lot of adjectives come to mind, humbling, um, challenging to go back from those those meetings. Uh, so back, you go to VMware, uh, you know, go back, re-engineer. And that's where, I guess, really in our, our prep, we, we talked about innovators dilemma. How do you then, you know, take these new innovations, apply them in a new construct Um, And at the time that wasn't, that wasn't a huge focus. So, you know, not to, uh, again, not to throw any, any, uh, any mud at, at any one particular company here, but you use that then as the catalyst into, into platform nine. So if that was the challenge, if that was the, the pain point, how does platform nine then solve that? We talk about this, this, this freedom in computing. Uh, Obviously it's container focused. So there's a, there's a requirement in a Kubernetes environment. Um, but, but tell me specifically the tech then that that unlocks this.
0: Yeah, so the, the so how we deliver freedom in cloud computing is is essentially with three three different layers of the solution, right? One is it's SaaS. Okay. At the core of it is it's it's SaaS. If you think about the the hyperscale public cloud, one of the beautiful things about it is you cannot get up and running in no time. Why? Because you don't spend time deploying the hardware, deploying and connecting the racking, stacking the cabling and the, the capacity, but also the management systems, you know, configuring the hypervisors, configuring the management systems. All of those things are kind of taken care of for you because it's a service. It's a SaaS service. You can sign up and you can go, right? So the core is a SaaS model. The next layer around that is how do we provide like an open distributed um, capability to run like clouds and applications without any lock-in with the freedom to to get like modern cloud native applications but with the freedom to run them anywhere that is where containers comes into the equation we also support vms and vms have their place there's there's a range of use cases for which vms are better than containers so we're not a container-centric company not a vm-centric company we support both but Containers have their advantages, right? Like just the physics of containers are different from VMs, and you know Docker. One of the big innovations that Docker brought to the fold and containers brought to the fold is they're portable. It's the same image that runs consistently no matter which environment you run it on. That's very powerful, and it's a small image. It doesn't include a whole copy of the guest OS that virtual machines have to deal with. So it's smaller. It's more developer friendly. It's portable. It runs consistently everywhere. And technologies like Kubernetes then give you the orchestration services around the application, right? So an application, but you need—it's not just a, a single Docker runtime, but you need the ability to spin up a collection of these runtimes. You need to be able to connect them to the out, outside world, route traffic to them, connect storage to them, set up network policies, right? And and consume like other application services, interconnect them, right? Microservices that is where kubernetes and the cloud native ecosystem comes in to enable applications that are written on these open you know cross platform uh, formats so the core is the saas management experience that makes it all simple easy instant self-serve so you go to platform9.com today you can sign up and you can be up and running in minutes but then the next layer is these these cloud services that are built on open source industry standard cloud native that runs anywhere on any cloud, on Amazon, on Azure, on Google, on-prem, on VMware, it runs everywhere. And then the last leg is you can bring this to, and you can run this on any infrastructure of your choice. So you can bring your own infrastructure, you can bring your own VPCs. So you can bring your Azure, your Amazon, your Google Cloud environments under management. You can run them on VMware, you can run them on bare metal, you can run them at the edge. So those are really the three the three rings. To the architecture that makes up that that helps us deliver freedom in cloud computing, and that's really the the ability to kind of go back to a clean sheet of paper and say we need to start from scratch and really think about the architecture for a distributed cloud, an open distributed cloud, without some of the legacy and baggage that we had at VMware was was really the reason why we started Platform9 is because at VMware our success in building vSphere meant that. You had to do everything with vSphere at the center of it. It doesn't, even though users had moved on, right? Like what users right. needed was something different. Yep.
1: Yep. And uh, so, so really interesting. Um, and that, of course, enabling enterprises in business to then deploy, whether it's in-house applications or whether it's their new, you know, latest and greatest thing they make available on the internet, uh, available out to the world, any uh, applications of any size, any any geography, any span, uh, and the freedom to run that anywhere. But uh, Suresh, it kind of brings me then to think. To think, I want to ask you a question specific then to those applications. So now we're going to. Uh, I want to ask you a question about an article you wrote not long after what happened earlier in in the year in January and you speak about the immaturity and na- naivete of of people on the internet and how that's spilling now out into into the real world and so as we think about these applications and these constructs in in the digital world and the need for a moral compass was was the phrase that you used. You know, this is where we've entered into personal opinion time, but what do you think the internet needs? What do you think people need? Do we need legislation? Do we need guidelines? Do we just need people to grow up a little and be a little more compassionate?
0: Oh boy. Uh, I know. You're going to get me going. Jeff, you're going to get me going here. I do have strong opinions. Um, obviously my own personal opinions and don't represent that of my employer or Certainly. or or anyone else but you know Elon Musk is a colorful character but you know i think shortly after the what happened on january 6th i think he he put something out on twitter which i thought was remarkable about how facebook started as a way to rate women on college campuses yeah and he drew a link between that i think it's like a and to this this man in the, the skull suit, like in the the horned yeah. uh, helmet standing on the c- right. c- Capitol. I thought that was brilliant because I think that it's, it's incredibly honest and real. That, you know, and, and I think the thing to me that I personally really get upset about is, and I have, by the way, m- many of my close friends work at places like Facebook and I uh, I think Facebook has worked on some really cool and innovative technologies like magma I think is a fantastic innovation from from Facebook but you just look at you just look at what technology is doing to society and you've got to be able to talk about are we doing good for society or are we doing bad for society right like you know farmers knew what they were what they were growing and they knew whether it was a good product or was it a bad product like you know, blacksmiths knew if you're working on metal uh, weapons, you knew that it could be used to cause harm or to defend people. But gun makers, right? Like throughout our our evolution as a species, by the way, I love this book uh, um on uh, sapiens. It talks about like really the evolution of humankind and the biology and the psychology behind how we've evolved, right? As a as a as people, as 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 a species is fascinating, but I look at what we're doing with technology and I am like some of our brightest minds, like this is a well-known statement from, I think think it was a Google engineer, if I'm not mistaken, right? The brightest minds of my generation have spent their time thinking about how to get people to click on ads. And you think about that. And then you think about the, the polarization in society that is made possible by the fact that there's really powerful economic engines. Like, that that thrive on engagement, right? Like it doesn't matter if it's uh, if it's you know it's false if it's real. It doesn't matter if it's it stokes hate, it stokes divisiveness. If it drives engagement, if it drives eyeballs, it drives sharing, it drives more impressions. That's, That's good what drives for the business. bottom line. So, so you got to do that, right? Yeah. And the, the, you think about it; these are some of the highest-paying jobs in the technology industry. That's right. um, you, you know, working at Facebook or maybe on the Google ad engine, some of the highest paying jobs in the technology industry. Doesn't that seem wrong to you that, you know, that the best jobs in technology are the ones that can be the most harmful to our society, to our constitution, to our capital? Uh, it seems wrong to me. So, you know, I mean, there's many things, right? Like on the whole, the fact that internet is anonymous and it's a wild west, I think that is just like broken, right? There should be identity. Nobody should be allowed to connect to the internet without using their own real ID, right? I think there needs to be like a real internet. Everything
1: I do is me. Yep. And I'm going to take responsibility for it.
0: And you can trace it back to Jeff and Jeff has to have accountability. In the real world, you can't walk around and do stuff without having, you know, liability to what you do. But on the internet, there is no liability. So I think there needs to be personal liability and business liability on the internet. So that is, I think that is, by the way, it's a matter of time before we get there. It has to happen. It makes no sense for this to be like this, this Wild West, you know, uh, the way it is right now. But the best jobs in technology and the highest paying jobs in technology cannot be the ones that are the worst for our society. So my call to action, like for anyone who cares to listen is, Try to think about the work that you do, especially in technology, because we have, you know, we are the, on the right side of the digital divide. We are the, we are the people who have it all. And what we do impacts the real world in really big ways. And we've got to be really careful about where we choose to apply our talent and how we choose to, what we choose to bring to society.
1: Mm-hmm. That is an excellent, excellent point. Um, because, as we think about ways to make things better, faster, cheaper, and that's if you look at what is the hallmark of what technology does today, it makes everything faster it makes and it 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 and and we can think about that in in great and easy ways. I was able to book a flight for my wife to go visit a friend this weekend very fast, very, very conveniently, but you can also go from the point of somebody you know. Uh, going on, online in a very good mood to all of a sudden in a very bad mood and, and con- contemplating very bad things very fast. And when things happen fast, especially in that construct, they tend to not have great outcomes, um, whether those are personal, uh, how far the, the radius is of that impact. So uh, I love your point around a- anonymity really just shouldn't, shouldn't necessarily be a thing. If we can't do it in real life, why should we be able to do it in our digital life? Uh, I think that would solve a huge amount of the problems. Um, so, Surish, I think one other thing I'll ask you before we 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 close it. And I think uh, you know you've you've had a vision for how technology can be applied to um, the challenges of the day. So, let's. I want to take two things off the table. The first is finances. So. You you you've you, you've got all the money in the bank account that you need to do, but you've got plenty of years left to be productive. Uh, and technology certainly seems to play into that, but maybe it doesn't have to. What do you do with your time if if your your requirements for what you're doing at Platform Nine weren't there? Your bank account is as full as it's ever any human needs to have. Where does where do you spend your time?
0: You know the kinds of things that I uh, find myself thinking about subconsciously. Um, how do we how do we reduce our footprint on the earth, right? Like how do mm. we make the earth uh, I mean, you look at you look at the the plastic in the ocean. You look at
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, every morning when I drive my kids to school, we drive an electric car. Um, it's a you know it's a Volkswagen golf, e- golf. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful electric car. Mm. And you know especially now it's getting to be fall, winter bunch of electric gas cars in front of me and you just see these fumes coming out. And I think about like, sure. if you could just tint those fumes so people could see like what they're producing, Yeah, uh, I think it's just staggering how much of a footprint uh, each of us is casting uh, without realizing. I think the problem is we don't realize it, right? Like, I mean, uh, you drive yeah. a car and you're like, Man, I need to go somewhere, take my kids to school, right? right. And right. But the norm is, I think, for us to cast such a heavy footprint and I would love to find ways to to make it make it nicer on the Earth, right? Like I think mm-hmm. the, from everything from from plastic uh, and the trash to you know I think emissions. Uh, the I mean, you look at the the wildfires in the U.S. West. You look at the the thunderstorms uh, that just happened in Vancouver. I think two weeks ago uh, was right. flooded. You look at Europe. It looks like every place in the world. And you've been you know. When you, you were warned about this in The Inconvenient Truth in 2006, and right. people at the time didn't believe it, and you look at what was said in the movie and what's happened in the time since then, what's happening now, and you think about what's going to be happening 10 years from now. What, are, what is the Californian wildfire situation going to be like 10 years from now? The firefighters, what are we, are we really going to ask them to put their lives at risk while we just keep... Doing all the things that are driving this. Keep up.
1: living like we're living, like a, like it's. Uh, and just basically uh,
0: say, yeah, you guys just keep going and fighting the fires. That's you know, we we pay tax, we pay our taxes. You, it's your job to go to that. Is that what we're going to say?
1: Right, right.
0: So I would love yep. to spend time working on those things. Um, what,
1: uh, what a great mission to be on, or even to be thinking about, and, and what might be next. And how it can be applied. Because cause how we think and how we act in small things has ultimately grows into the impact of how we do big things. So the steps that you're taking, obviously, in, in what you're doing to curb your emissions and thinking about the the waste that you create, how recycling fits into that, how reusable containers fits into that. Um, in a small scale, maybe have the opportunity to impact the world in a large scale.
0: Yeah, nine billion of us, right, So.
1: Yeah, if we all do one thing. In fact, that's yeah. something our CEO says and when he talks about how we're gonna how we, how we continue to grow as an organization and, and his challenges us is one percent. Just be one percent better today. One yeah. percent. End of the year, we're a lot of percent better.
0: That's right.
1: Can be applied everywhere. So Rish, thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. It was uh, fascinating to dig in not only just to the tech side of it, but the sociological part and uh, and ecological. We got ecological too.
0: Yeah, my, my pleasure. Jeff, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com.
1: Well, this was one of my favorite conversations I've had on the program in quite a while. Suresh is a fascinating, smart, and I'm sure you've picked up on this as well, humble man. I really like the phrase that he used a few times, that when you work with great people, great things happen. Words to live by. Make sure that you go check out Platform 9 and see what those folks are up to. Maybe they can help you and your company on your own cloud journeys. Well, with that, we're at the end of another episode. If you subscribed earlier to Cloud Talk, awesome. If not, there's always time. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. And also by subscribing, you'll now get to hear the episodes that we record every Tuesday and Thursday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time on what we call Cloud Talk Live. I'd love for you to pop over to LinkedIn or YouTube or Twitter on the Rackspace feed and be a part of those events. Your participation helps drive the conversation. Well, I hope you have an amazing day. Until next time, I'm Jeff DeVerter for Cloud Talk.